The text for the sermon this morning is uh, Judges 15, the second part of the chapter, beginning from verse 9, when the Philistines came to Israel to arrest Samson and what happened next. We have already read that part of the story. Um, We'll go through it again during the sermon. Beloved congregation of the Lord, Samson is a fascinating man with his long hair and his enormous physical strength. He was an impressive figure. You would not want to get into a fight with him. At the same time, from a moral perspective, he had his weaknesses. He loved women, and it seems especially Philistine women. And this got him into trouble more than once. So when you read the whole story about Samson, everything that he did and that happened to him, you have to say there was a lot of power there, but not so much purity. Now in Hebrews 11, which we read together, Samson is mentioned in the list of true believers. He is counted among those who have trusted God's promises and who have performed mighty acts of faith. He is mentioned as an example for us because he was expecting the fulfillment of God's promises. So he, in, many, in many ways he fell short. He was a sinner, but he was a believer. He trusted his God and God's promises. Now, we should not forget that Samson was raised up by the Lord for a special purpose, for the salvation of his people. By way of background, just quickly, in chapter 13, we read that the people of Israel had done what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord gave them over into the hands of the Philistines, their enemy, for 40 years, it says in 13 verse 1. And during those years, the, the, the people of Israel became slaves to the Philistines, servants. They were in bondage. Now, after a while, it seems that they got used to this. And that they said, okay, we are not our own masters anymore. We are under the Philistines, but as long as there is peace and no war, let's be thankful. And I think there were probably still true believers in Israel who, who prayed for the liberation of the nation. But on the whole, the Israelites had grown comfortable in their situation of being servants to the Philistines. And they were in bondage, and it was a dangerous situation because it could become spiritual bondage. So the Lord, as he was faithful to his promises to his people, did not want this to happen. And that is why the Lord raised up Samson. He raised up a troublemaker, you could say. The Lord used Samson to cause trouble between Israel and the Philistines. You can see that in 13 verse 5, if you have your Bible open. Judges 13 verse 5. For behold, this is the words to uh, the angel spoke to the mother of Samson. 
Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. You see that? That was the purpose of Samson's ministry, his life. The Lord wanted to use him to begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And then if you go to chapter 14, verse 4, that's uh, one of the first times that uh, Samson starts to reach out to the Philistines and his father and mother didn't like it. Why would you want to marry a Philistine girl? And then in verse 4 it says, But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. You see, this is the plan of the Lord. The Israelites were in bondage. They were servants to the Philistines. The Lord didn't want that. And that's why he raised up Samson. And that is why the Lord also guided Samson's life in such a way that there would be trouble between Israel and the Philistines. So whatever we may say about Samson, he got into trouble not always for the right reasons. But behind that, ultimately, the Lord wanted to put enmity between his people and the Philistines. And I think you hear Genesis 3, verse 15 in those words. When the Lord said in the beginning, I will put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. So that's what we are seeing this morning. Enmity. The Lord putting enmity between the seed of the woman, Israel, and the seed of the serpent, the Philistines. So let's listen to our text passage and see what happened. And it it summarized as follows. The Lord using Samson at Lehi to save his people from bondage. We hear about three things, fresh ropes, a fresh jawbone, and fresh water. Our text passage is the climax of a chain of events, a story of what they call escalating violence. It has started at a personal level. At Samson's wedding, there was some trouble. Um, I can't tell the whole story. It would take too long. You know the story probably. That became a vendetta between Samson and all the Philistines with vengeance happening all the time. One side seeking vengeance against the other. And by the time we get to chapter 15, things have gotten to the stage that Samson made a plan with these foxes and uh, torches between their tails. He made a plan to destroy the whole harvest of the Philistines. And now, of course, the other side wants to take revenge again. So the Philistines now invade the land of Judah because they seek revenge against Samson. Let's read again verse 9 and 10. Judges 15, verse 9 and 10. Now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said... Why have you come up against us? Now, the way this is worded tells you a lot about the situation in those days. The Philistines were able to just invade the land 
and settle down, make camp wherever they wanted. There was no resistance. And this is also illustrated by the way the men of Israel respond to this action. What, what have we done that's wrong? Why are you here? But that is, that is apparently the situation in those days. And when the Philistines say, well, we have come to uh, arrest Samson, then there is no resistance from the men of Judah either. It continues, so they answered, we have come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he has done to us. You might expect the the men of Israel to say, well, that's not going to happen. He is one of us. We'll fight for him. No, they do not fight for him. They decide to hand him over. They don't want trouble with the Philistines. What happens next? Verse 11 to 13. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. But they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to him, to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. Now, what a situation is this? Try to imagine what is happening here. There's some irony here. The men of Judah are able to muster 3,000 men. You would think that they had enough men to stand up against the Philistines. That doesn't happen. Instead, they send those 3,000 men to arrest one of their own in order to hand him over to the enemy. So these 3,000 men are not very courageous, you might say. They are afraid to fight against the Philistines. They don't want to do that. So they rather hand over uh, their own man, Samson, to the Philistines. But then they are also so afraid of him that they do not send just 10 or 15 or 20 men to capture him. They send those 3,000 men to capture Samson. Now at this point we should note how Samson in more than one way prefigures the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I think you have already noticed that probably. First, Samson was a savior sent by God to fight the enemies of God's people all by himself. We, we don't see anything from the side of the Israelites that they wanted to throw off the yoke of the Philistines. They are okay with it, that, with that yoke of bondage. That reminds us of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He too had to take on the enemy all by himself. He went into the desert, struggled against the devil for 40 days, and it went on like that all his life. 
In the end, nobody was helping him. He had to go to the cross all by himself. The other thing is that Samson gave himself up. He didn't decline. He didn't reject. Samson gave himself up and was delivered by his own people into the hands of the enemy. Well, that's the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus gave himself up to be bound by his own people and to be handed over to the Gentiles that they could bring him to death. And he knew it. He even told his disciples before it happened, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. There are a few important lessons for us to learn here. Two lessons already. First, we learn something about God's people and about ourselves. Sometimes God's people and we too, we prefer a peaceful life under pagan oppression over a free life under Christ. Sometimes we get used to the idolatry around us and we say, whatever, as long as there is peace and harmony, as long as we have our income, it's okay. Perhaps we sometimes also start to enjoy that same life that we see all around us in the world. And this is shameful. We need to ask forgiveness, repent, and pray that the Lord would give us a spirit of courage so that we would stand up for what is right in the eyes of the Lord and that we would not associate ourselves with those things that happen in the world. The second thing that we learn is this. We learn something about the grace of God. The Lord did not wait until the people of Israel had changed their hearts. He didn't wait till they started fighting against their oppressors. The Lord was faithful to his promise that there would be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and that the seed of the woman would be victorious. So when God's own people caved in and capitulated to the enemy and said, whatever, this is the situation, the Lord took the initiative and caused enmity to happen. He was going to lead them to victory, to liberation of bondage, as we will see. And so also in our time, brothers and sisters, the time we live in, we may trust that the Lord himself will sustain his church, he will protect his church, until the final victory comes. He has promised this. When we look at ourselves, we know how weak we are. And when we look at the church, you wonder, will it all survive? Yes, it will. Because the Lord himself has said, there is enmity between my people and the people of the world, and my people will prevail. The seed of the woman will prevail. And we know how this happened through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If it depended on us, the church would not survive. But thanks be to Jesus Christ, 
he will gather and protect his church till the final day. <coughs> Let's re- return now to the story of Samson and see what happened next. So the second point. So you have to imagine this now. The Israelites, the men of Judah, have bound Samson with new ropes, and he is led by his own people to the place called Lehi to be handed over to the enemies. So when the Philistines saw them coming with Samson, you can imagine that they were overjoyed and shouted victory. It seems like they came running down to, to take Samson prisoner. And you do not want to think about what they would have done to him. Probably beat him half dead, gouge out his eyes as they did later, and take him home as a trophy and parade him through the streets of their cities. But the Lord intervened. Verse 14 and following, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Killing a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey, that is quite something. A jawbone of a donkey is not a small thing, it's about this long. Uh, They say the length of a man's forearm, and I'm sure you can kill someone with it under normal circumstances, but it's not anybody's weapon of choice. How could Samson have killed a thousand men who were armed with swords, spears, bows, and arrows? Well, the answer is in verse 14. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. So he received divine power. And with that divine power, those new ropes, they just fell off his arms And that fresh jawbone became a swift and deadly weapon. A thousand enemies were killed. And the rest, whatever remained, they all fled back to their cities. The men of Judah, who were watching this fight, they must have suddenly realized that the Lord had given them a new Savior. That the Lord had given them someone who could liberate them from the oppression of the Philistines. And Samson himself, what about him? He sang a song of victory. With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. You wonder about this victory song. I think we would have wanted Samson to give glory to God. And that isn't really there. But, okay, the Bible doesn't say that it was not a good song, so maybe we should be uh, cautious in criticizing him. Anyway, again, 
we see that there are ways in which Samson prefigures the work of Christ. What do we see? We see one man fighting the enemy and achieving a victory for God's people in the strength that God provides, thereby liberating all God's people from bondage. Does that not remind you again of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was bound, led to the cross, in order to die? His enemies also thought that he was finished, but instead the cross of Christ became a decisive victory for God's people, setting them free from their bondage to sin and from the devil. Now, of course, there is one very important difference between Samson and the Lord Jesus Christ. Samson did not have to die in order to set God's people free. Christ had to die in order to save God's people. But then he was raised from the dead. And that's also a difference. Samson's victory had a temporary effect. But Christ's death and resurrection has everlasting effect for all God's people, people of all times and places. So, let's ask the same question again. What do we learn? And again, there are two things. First, this. While we are unable to save ourselves from the slavery of sin, and we don't even try sometimes, we have been liberated by the awesome strength of one man, our Lord Jesus Christ. The point of this text is not so much that we would enjoy hearing this wonderful story about a superman, Samson, although it's a really nice story, of course. But the point is that we would marvel at the plan of God to set his people free from bondage through the service of one man, one man who he has provided in the power of the Spirit. So we need to look at Samson and then put our faith in God and Jesus Christ. The second thing that we learn is that Samson was not able to do this by his own strength, but that he did it by the strength of the Holy Spirit. Now, Samson lived in the time of the Old Covenant, when the Spirit had not been poured out yet. There were these outbursts of Spirit power through certain people and on certain occasions. But now we live in the New Covenant. And all believers, all God's people, share in the promise that the Lord gives us His Holy Spirit. God's Spirit dwells in the heart of believers. He dwells in the congregation of Christ. And as much as the Spirit was able to cause awesome facts to happen in the Old Covenant, again today, still today, the Spirit is able to make awesome things to happen. Perhaps not the kind of thing anymore that we read in the story, like killing a thousand people with a jawbone, but something that is even more difficult to do, to change a person's heart, to make a heart that was dead to be alive. The miracle also of reconciliation between believers who are fighting and who can reconcile. 
the miracle also of having the courage to obey God, never mind what people say about it. That takes some courage. That takes the power of the Holy Spirit. So, brothers and sisters, when we see Samson empowered by the Spirit of God, we should put aside weakness and strive to do what is pleasing to God in the strength that God's Spirit provides. We come to the third and the last part of the story, fresh water. You know, the story could have ended here because the battle was done. Everybody went home. But there is a tail end. Up until this point, Samson has been in view as the savior of God's people. This mighty battle, fantastic. And now he comes into view as an individual believer who depends on the Lord just as much as anyone else. Verse 17 and following. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramath-Lehi. Then he became very thirsty. So he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? We have to assume here that the Philistines had left and that most of the men of Judah had, went, had gone home and that Samson stayed behind at this place, at Ramath-Lehi, Ramath Jawbone Hill. And now no longer is the Spirit of the Lord rushing upon him as earlier. All of a sudden, Samson is there by himself and now he is just a human being. He is tired and he is very thirsty. Nothing superhuman about him anymore. Now, some have speculated that this was a kind of punishment from the Lord because Samson had not given God the glory in that song of victory. As if God was telling Samson, Okay, you thought that you could do this in your own strength? Let me show you how weak you are. Again, we cannot be sure whether this is uh, the explanation. The text doesn't really say it, although it is quite plausible. What the text does say clearly is that Samson shows himself to be a believer now, a child of God. He professes his dependence upon the Lord. He turns to the Lord in prayer and acknowledges now for sure that the Lord has given him the victory. You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. So there he acknowledges that it was God's work through him. And then his request, now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? And all of a sudden this powerful man who could kill a thousand people with a jawbone, all of a sudden he's afraid. Oh, the Philistines could come back and they could still kill me. The Lord now shows his mercy to his servant. Verse 19, so God split the hollow place, that is Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived, and therefore he called its name en which is in Lehi to this day. A quick exegetical comment, if I may. The text here says about 
um, God split the hollow place that is in Lehi. Now, Lehi could means jawbone. It could be the place which was called Jawbone Hill, but it could also be the jawbone that Samson had thrown away. So perhaps there was some place where water all of a sudden came out of the ground, a hollow place, or as some explainers say, it was the hollow in the jawbone of the donkey. The Lord made water come through that hollow in the, in the jawbone. Well, it's not really important. I'm not sure which explanation is the best, but it doesn't really matter. The point is that the Lord miraculously provided his servant with water at his request, like he had done so often in the past when his people prayed. Samson was able to drink, and it says that his spirit returned and he revived. How wonderful the mercy and the power of God. He can just change the geography of a place, create a spring where there was nothing before. As it says in our text, the name of it was called en the spring of him who called, and it is still at Lehi to this day. Again, there are ways in which Samson here reminds us of the Lord Jesus Christ. He really is a foreshadowing prefiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like Samson was in the wilderness all by himself, tired and thirsty, the Lord Jesus was in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and nights. He was hungry, and no doubt he was thirsty. And you know how the devil tempted the Lord by saying, you are powerful. You can just command these stones to become bread, and then you can eat. And indeed, the Lord Jesus could have used his divine power just to make bread for himself. But he was called to be like us, to be as weak and dependent as we are. And he did not want to use his divine strength in order to make himself superhuman or something different. He wanted to be as weak as we all are so that he could identify with us. So, when we look at Samson and we hear his cry for help, we know that Samson was only an instrument used by the Lord. And as interesting as Samson is as a person, as a character, we need to think about him and then fix our eyes not on Samson but on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the lesson that also follows in Hebrews 11 and then Hebrews 12. We need to fix our eyes on Christ and persevere in our faith in Him. There was a time that Jesus humbled Himself and became weak like one of us. That time has now passed. Jesus is exalted now, and He is seated at God's right hand. And when we need to be revived, and when we need our spirit to be strengthened, we have someone to go to. We can pray to God in the name of Jesus Christ who is with the Father and ask Him to send us His Holy Spirit. As Jesus said later on, the feast, on a feast in Jerusalem, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So let's conclude, brothers and sisters, and summarize. We have looked at Samson and observed two aspects of his life. We have seen him act as a mighty warrior through, God, through whom God saved his people in the power of the Holy Spirit. As far as that is concerned, he was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, our true Savior. We have also seen Samson in his weakness as a believer who cried out to the Lord and received help when he needed it. And as far as that is concerned, we need to follow his example. But above all, we have seen how the Lord was using this man, who was not a perfect man, that the Lord was using Samson's ministry to begin to save his people from the hand of their enemies, from that oppression of the enemy. And brothers and sisters, the Lord has not changed. In our time, the, the Son of God is still working out His plan, gathering His people, protecting them, freeing them also from bondage. So let's fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus and be faithful in all our life, doing what is pleasing in the eyes of God. Amen. Let us sing together Psalm 36, stanza 2. O Lord, your faithfulness and love reach to the heights of heaven above. Your justice lasts forever. Psalm 36, 